Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. All right, we are, uh, as many of you know, we are in the book of Romans. I want you to know that for me, this journey through the book of Romans, it's not my first time reading it. This has been like eating the best meal every week preparing for this. I have loved this study. And what I love about the study is um, it, it's just so rich in theology. This is scripture that just connects all over the New Testament. And um, I, I just find myself amazed. In fact, I, I realized this week I have used less illustrations and examples than ever in this book. And I think the reason is because when we're bringing, presenting, preaching the Word of God, we're just letting the Word speak. And the goal here, my prayer for you has been every week, Lord, transform us by the renewing of our mind through through the Word of God. So here we are today. Um, Last week, we went halfway through Romans chapter 9. And Paul, who, who has talked to us a lot about salvation so far, now he's getting into the intricacies of salvation. Now, we know how salvation works from our part, right? Uh, we believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the one whom God raised from the dead. We believe in Him. Uh, we, we receive Him into our lives. We confess Him as Lord and Savior. We get our part. But what Paul does in Romans 9 is he tells us how salvation works from God's end, uh, what God is doing to bring salvation about in our lives. And, and it involves some principles, as I said last week, which are not all that 21st century, um, not, not all that, hey, every one of you is large and in charge, and they're principles which, which can really humble us, which is a good thing. They're also principles that can make us stumble, hence the title of the sermon, Humble or Stumble. So Paul began last week talking about salvation. And as I noted last week, he begins where every, every talk on salvation should begin. It begins with compassion. Paul lets us see his heart for the Jewish nation, and he is heartbroken that his brothers and sisters, because he's Jewish, right? He is an Israelite. He is heartbroken that, that up to this point, so few of them have received Jesus Christ as Lord. He, 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 is, he is anguished that so many are spiritually lost But he was also in chapter 9, while he is anguished, he's also a bit astonished because the Jews historically have have had such an advantage on the rest of the world when it comes to recognizing the Messiah. Um, Paul, in in verses 4 and 5 last week, gave us eight signs from God, just eight that they're like neon flashing informational boards in the life of Israel and the history of Israel, you know. in, in their experience that just point to Jesus Christ. And, and the question Paul posed last week is, how could they have rejected Jesus Christ when every sign from God points to Jesus Christ? That is the question that Romans chapter 9 is dealing with, and specifically, Paul is dealing with in verses 6 through 33. Now, Paul deals with, with this question by actually bringing up four supporting questions. And he just goes on to answer them one by one throughout the chapter. And so last week, we dealt with question number one, which is, okay, uh, so far Israel has rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by and large. So did God fail? Is this God's fault? I mean, did God fail to fulfill his promise to Israel? 
And Paul's very quick answer back to the body of Christ is absolutely not. God did not fail. In fact, God did fulfill his promise. God is fulfilling his promise. And God will fulfill his promise to Israel. God is doing this. It's just that not every physical Israelite is a spiritual Israelite. And then we we know what a spiritual Israelite is because Paul has told us early in Romans, a spiritual Israelite is everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Everyone who calls upon him for salvation. And then Paul goes into it. Last week in verses 7 through 13, Paul begins to teach us how God works out salvation. And again, it can be hard for some of us to accept because it defies Western logic. You know, what, what is Western logic? Well, well in, in Western logic, we want either a, we want either or. Well, Paul, in, in these verses, he gives us both and. You know, we like this way or absolutely that way. Paul walks right down the middle. We like black or white, and Paul presents to us a lovely shade of gray instead. And on one hand, he presents us with half of a divine paradox, okay, of how God works out salvation. And Paul emphatically told us last week that when it comes to salvation, God is in absolute control. This word sovereignty that we love, it applies to salvation. Paul Paul teaches us very clearly that God determines all things. God chooses people according to his own purposes for them. So yes, there it is, this word predestination. God even chooses us for salvation. Now just so you know, that principle is not something some theologian came up with in the you know, fifth century, it's actually in Scripture. Not just one or two places. Predestination is actually all over Scripture. Listen to these. Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Ephesians 1. 5 and 11. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ uh, to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And I'll give you another one, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because, and here it is, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Now, before we blow a head gasket, okay, because you can read this and just go, now wait a minute, hold on just a second. So God chooses everything. You know, I got no part in this. I'm nothing more than a robot. We have the other side of the paradox, which is also in Scripture in many places, which is paradoxically that uh, we choose as well. God chooses, and somehow our faith and our choice mysteriously mixes in. Here's a couple of those. John 7, 17. Anyone who chooses 
to do the will of God, says Jesus, will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Uh, Here's a plaque on many walls, many Christian walls all over the nation. Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so last week we dealt with this paradox, and we noted that, yeah, you know, there are two sides. You know, you got the predestination camp that goes, that's how it is, there's no other way. You've got the, the, the free will camp over here. Biblical paradox is that somehow these two fit together. We don't quite get it all, but both are in Scripture. Our choice and God's sovereign choice are absolutely in place. So we can hold that, but at the end of the day, we still better not lose sight of Proverbs 16, 9, which says this. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And so we just got to look at some of the greatness and the wonder and the miracle of our God. One other thing we talked about last week, and I'll actually bring up uh, one and then add something, um, that's very important is that when it comes to predestination, this this principle or this doctrine is what we would call a non-essential. Now, here's what a non-essential is. A non-essential means you do not have to fully embrace, understand, get predestination to be saved. You also don't have to have to to embrace it fully to be a member of this church. In other words, you're not excluded. You're not condemned if you're not there with predestination yet. What is essential is that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He is our only Messiah and Savior. That's the essential. Okay? Um, One last little thing. Somebody came up to me after the, uh, after the, the, the sermon and asked a great question. I almost asked it in the sermon, but I ran out of time. So they, they brought it up after the sermon. They said, well, Steve, uh, you know, with predestination, it leaves us with a question. And it's, um, it's evangelism. And it's missions, you know. Why should we evangelize and do missions if God's already chosen? I'm going to give you two reasons why, and both of them are from the Word of God, Okay. First one is actually on the way. We're we're going to be here very shortly. Uh, Not this week, but very soon. Romans 10, 13 through 15. Listen to this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So the answer to the question of, well, why do evangelism, why do missions, is because God has called us into partnership. God has said when it comes to to reaching the world for Jesus Christ, we do this together. And and by the way, that feeds into the next biblical answer, and it's even an easier one. Um, Why do evangelism and why do missions? Well, I'll ask you a question. I'll let you answer it. Okay, this is how easy this one is. And not because you're, you're not all highly intelligent. It's just, it's just right there on the surface. The question is this. Who told us to evangelize in the first place? Yeah, Steve Keller, right? Steve, this was Steve's... No, not Billy Graham, not the Apostle Paul. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our Master, our King, said go. Go into all the world. Make the, make the good news known. So when, when, we get the, when we put all this together, question number one was completely answered last week. Has God failed? Absolutely not. Those he has chosen will respond to Jesus Christ. They will receive him, and we need to get out there. 
And we need to make the, the good news of Jesus Christ known. Whew, that was a recap. Let's pray and get on with this thing. Father, we thank you for your life-transforming word. Lord, we thank you for, for the word of God, which just changes who we are. Lord, it reorders our thinking. Lord, it cuts to the heart uh, of who we are, Lord. It separates joint and marrow. And God, it is so good. It is so good for us, Lord God. Growing us up into righteousness, making us like Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you for the low-hanging fruit of Scripture. Just the, the, the Scriptures we see and we pull them down and they're so easy. And Father, I thank you for, for passages like Romans 9 that just call us to, to dive deep. And uh, Lord, Lord, to look with you at just the glory and the wonder of who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this week, question number two. Now, we've answered the first one. God has not failed Israel. Question number two comes in verse 14. Paul brings this up, and he says, Okay, well, what shall we say then? Is God unjust to choose when it comes to salvation? Um, does anybody want to guess Paul's answer here? Or that's right, it's a no. It's another no from Paul. Not at all, says Paul. And what Paul does from, from here on for just a few minutes after verse 14 is he now goes on to teach us what justice means. Because that's the question, remember? Is God unjust? Paul says no, and here is biblical justice. Now, it involves three things. The first thing we already know when it comes to justice, you got to have a judge. All right, first of all, you can't have justice without a judge. And, and, and a judge is someone who will make a legal ruling on guilt or innocence, okay? So a judge is someone who is qualified to condemn or to set free. Now, we already know from James chapter 4, verse 12, we have this. When it comes to, to spiritual life and eternity, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, meaning humanity, who are you to judge your neighbor? So justice involves, number one, it involves a judge, and God is the only good, the only wise judge, and he is qualified to rule, and, and, and he dispenses now thing number two, okay? So we got the judge, where the judge dispenses thing number two, and you know what thing number two is? It is mercy. Oh, thank God for mercy. We have a heavenly judge, and he is dispensing mercy. Has anyone ever, ever received mercy from a judge before? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to keep my hand up so you're safe. Uh, if you've ever received mercy from a judge, did you ever not deserve the mercy? Okay. You might have been guilty in the situation. You might should have paid for it. Um, this happened to me once with a speeding ticket. Um, oh, my goodness, I, I went to court, I had a speeding ticket, I was nailed, um, I, I ended up, here's, here's a tip, if you ever go to court, wear a suit and tie and show respect, man, this dude was throwing everybody in driving school, and I mean, it was just, he was just bouncing them. I got up there in my suit and tie and said, yes, sir, and he goes, young man, you are dismissed. Let me tell you something, when you get mercy from a judge, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. It is wonderful. Mercy is great. And listen, God says to us in Romans 9, 14, and, and this is a quote also of Exodus 33, 19, I, as the judge of humanity, will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So, so when Paul is asked this question, well, is God really just to do this? You know what Paul does? He simply points to the mercy of God. 
when it comes to justice. He starts us there. And he tells us in verse 16, God's mercy, it does not depend on human desire. It doesn't depend on human effort. God's mercy depends solely on him. It's coming straight out of his heart. This is his mind. This is his intention. Look at the cross. It's mercy. This is who our judge is. But what Paul does also is he's not going to let us run away or lose sight of the doctrine of sovereignty. So Paul subtly brings it back in. Okay, so Paul has now pointed to mercy. And he's actually connected mercy to, for example, Moses and the children of Israel. You know, Moses, the great hero in Exodus. He said, man, that was God's mercy. But then he he also points to judgment for Pharaoh, the great enemy of God's people. So what Paul is saying is, look, mercy involves this judge, or justice involves this judge who is dispensing mercy. But he also gives out justice when he when he raised up Pharaoh as your enemy. Stop and think about that for a minute. Is anybody's mind spinning? God acted sovereignly in raising Pharaoh up as an enemy. You know, every time I read that, my mind just kind of spins. Oh my gosh, God, you, your sovereignty involves raising up and using a creep like Pharaoh. We read this in verse 18. God will have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he will harden who he wants to harden. So while our minds just a minute are going, whoa, God used Pharaoh? What? We, we, we have the statement of God actually hardening Pharaoh's heart. And I'll tell you, when we read this, and I've seen this happen, God hardening Pharaoh, many Christians even, many Christians want to stand up, right, take the red flag, throw it on the field, blow the whistle, and call foul, Foul on God, unsportsmanlike conduct. How dare our good and loving God harden somebody? How can it say in Scripture that God would harden a heart? Have you ever, come on, somebody else besides me. Yeah, you thought that. Well, we got to stop for a minute and think about this one, okay? Um, We read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart kind of down the line. What was Pharaoh like before God hardened his heart? You know, it wasn't like Pharaoh. You know, he was just walking along in Egypt. You know, he's thinking about rainbows and puppy dogs and world peace. And he's planning his next arts and crafts project. And then suddenly God said, oh, yeah? Well, boom, your heart is rock hard and you're condemned. (laughs) It wasn't like that at all. We read in Exodus 1 when we get Pharaoh. He had enslaved an entire nation of people. Pharaoh was working them to death. He had even taken the young boys. He had issued the order that all the young males of Israel, all all the babies born, be thrown into the Nile River. You've got massive imprisonment, overwork, and genocide. Does that sound like anybody else in history? Adolf Hitler. Pharaoh is the Adolf Hitler of Scripture. And so the understanding here, the very best understanding, what, you know, when you read God hardens Pharaoh's heart, it really is God gave Pharaoh over to the hardening of his own heart. But here's the thing about God. Even when he did that, even in doing it, he did it in a way that showed his mercy, his love, and his power to Israel. That, my friends, that, my friends, is the action and the loving mercy of an all-powerful, good, good, good God. Wow. 
God is the judge who dispenses both mercy and judgment. And when he judges, folks, it is perfect judgment every time. So Paul has answered question number two now with a resounding yes. God is just when he chooses, whenever he acts in any way. So now we get to move on to question number three. Now, question number three may sound familiar, especially to the parents in the room. Here it goes. But if if God chooses, then why does God still blame us for rejecting Christ? For who is able to resist his will? Paul's response to this question is so simple and so brilliant and so bottom line, it kind of leaves you as the question asker going, uh, uh, uh. Paul's answer in verses 20 through 21. But who are you, a mere human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Doesn't the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Now, parents, if you had a chance to sit with this for a while, you would go, yep, I recognize that one. Because this is what happens in our houses as parents, mommy and daddy. Why? Do I really have to do this? Why is it like this? Mom and dad, it's just not fair. And every single parent can say back to that child, you know, if the moment is that clear, sure it's fair, sure it's good, sure it's right. It's just that you're not a parent yet. One day you will be. One day you're going to get it. For now, just obey Trust me. Have a nice day. God bless you, my sweet, sweet child. But it's, it's right, isn't it? It's true. You know, when it comes to our children, the, the, the child is not the parent. The child can't quite get it all yet. You know, there's just, there's a maturity gap. You know, the, the, there's development that's still happening. And even if the child got it all, you know, nine times out of ten, they still want what they want to do, and it still wouldn't be okay with them. So when it comes to why God does what he does and how he he does what he does, so much is there for us. There is so much that we can understand. But sometimes in Scripture, we run into principles, and it's like what we sang today. God, your ways are higher. Oh, God, your ways are just beyond me. He is the potter. We are the clay. We are the created. He is the creator. But you know what? One day, one day, we're going to get it. We're going to get it all. But for now, and Paul points us back to this, in verses 22 through 29, for now, we can rest assured in a couple of things. One thing is this. First of all, God has made a way for the Gentiles. You know who the Gentiles are? If you're not Jewish, just look at yourself in the mirror because you're a Gentile. You know, it's everyone who is a non-Jew. You know, Paul points back and says, you know, think about this. God has made a way for everyone who historically was not one of the chosen people. You know, historically, the whole world's going the other way, and God's people are walking with them through the Old Testament. He has made a way for all those other, other people to be saved, to enter into the kingdom, to, to become children of God. Paul quotes Hosea, verses 25 through 26, and this is beautiful. And, and own this one, because this is you and me. I will call them my people who were not my people. I will call her my loved, who is not my loved one. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, 
There they will now be called the children of the living God. Paul is talking about us. Us non-Jewish Gentiles saying, man, God has opened heaven for you. God has made a way of salvation. God has made eternal life to all you non-Jews out there. But then Paul goes back to the nation of Israel, the Jews, uh, God's people in, verses 20, in verse 27, saying, when it comes to them, though the number of the Israelites will be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. And you know what that is? That is a guarantee. That is a guarantee that despite rejecting Jesus, God has not forgotten his people. God has not abandoned Israel. And as we go further into 10, 11, on through Romans, oh, you are going to see how God has remembered the nation of Israel. You are going to see the plan that God has for his people. It's beautiful as we go forward. But, but we do have, it, at least so far, a guarantee, and it's that a remnant of, of, of the Jewish nation will come to him. And here's something else to remember when it comes to that word remnant. We don't know how big uh, a remnant is, do we? You know, we tend to think small. Uh, throughout Scripture, God seems to think pretty big, you know. So l- let me just leave you with that. Um, but we will pick up there, um, and, and it's, it's really good stuff coming up. But for now, today, we have gotten incredible information about how God works. This week and last week, we've gotten this principle of predestination that our sovereign God, who is love and who is good, he chooses us for salvation. And it is a glorious, wonderful, amazing, astounding, perfect work, whether we get it or we don't get it. And listen, I admitted last week when it comes to predestination, I can only explain it so far. So I don't know that anybody does, but it's a beautiful, wonderful work. And God does it as the only wise and the only good judge of all humanity, and he is full of mercy. And his judgment is right when he dispenses it. And because we see this in the word of God, we can embrace it. Like obedient children, just embrace it because it's in the word. And there may be times, as the body of Christ, when we are tempted, you know? We're tempted by our own logic. We are tempted by our own sense of fairness, our own sense of injustice and justice. Sometimes we're tempted just because somebody gets in our ear. We are tempted to just boot predestination, question God's sovereignty, question whether, if this is how it is, God is really good. When we're tempted in those moments, there are two things I always remind myself of. Number one is I remind myself of the Garden of Eden. When a young woman named Eve was uh, standing in the garden enjoying everything God had made, and someone came up to her, actually slithered up to her, and said, you know, did, did, did God really say is God really good? It, it, it's a temptation that's been with man. It, it, is the sovereign God really good? It's been with us since the very beginning. And it's actually what started off this whole mess down here, right? This is why Jesus Christ came for us. But we also remember what Paul has taught us in Romans chapter 9, that we will never fully understand or be able to explain all the intricacies the ins and the outs of God. We, re- we remember that, that, that faith is a part of this journey, but God has never failed. There has never been a moment throughout history, biblical human history, where, where God has been unjust. The point for us and what we rest on 
is that our God is merciful. He calls sinners to himself. Sinners to come trade in death for life, sorrow and pain for for joy and peace, this weak mortal existence for new life. And so if you are here today and you, you are a Christian, you belong to Jesus Christ, I want you to know something. From the word of God beginning to end, you are rescued. You are safe. You are loved. The God of mercy, the God of justice, who, who he's got both Gentiles and he's got Jews on his mind, on his heart. He's your father. He's your shepherd. He's your God. He's your master. He's your Lord. And we just rest in that. And if you are not a Christian, if you are not a Christian, let me say this to you. Take a big swig for dramatic effect. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ, listen. Today, if you hear his voice, don't don't harden your heart like Pharaoh did. But instead, be, be made new. Welcome Jesus Christ into your life. Receive him. Receive him. What you're waiting for, the hope, the peace, the joy, the life, it's in him. Or in the words of the greatest showman, receive Jesus and come alive, come alive, go and light your... I'm sorry, I won't do that. But this is it. And so so that's how we want to end today, okay? We want to end with just an opportunity to step into the kingdom of God. Some of you have prayer needs. We want to pray with you, okay? If, If you have any need in this place, we would love to pray with you today. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.